So this week, Melissa Bosma, our communications manager for the podcast, reminded me that we're coming up on our two-year anniversary. Whoa, who knew? We've covered so much on the show. Affordability challenges, equitable development, innovations related to new supply, impact bonds, the pandemic. And so many of our episodes have looked at these topics from the outside in. But at the heart of everything we've covered are individual lives and communities. So today on the show, we will look from the inside out, and we'll focus on one community in one city from which there's so much to learn, Thai Town in Los Angeles. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Freddie Mac Multifamily Podcast. I'm Steve Kugin-Moss. And I'm Corey Aber. And today on the show, we're going to look at the history of Thai Town in Los Angeles, but not just the history, but also the challenges and opportunities that can be seen today. And we'll look at the uh, the history of Thai CDC as well, the Community Development Center that has done a tremendous amount for the community for almost 30 years. We're joined by Chansey Martorell, the founder and executive director of Thai CDC, uh, where she oversees projects on human rights advocacy, affordable housing, healthcare access, small business promotion, social enterprises, and neighborhood empowerment. Uh, and uh, Chansey is an advocate, urban planner, and community leader dedicated to Thai, immigrant, and local communities. She's a respected practitioner in community development and a leading expert on modern day slavery. Um, and that's just a brief summary. So, you know, there's so much more. So, uh, Chansey, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm really thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So today, Thai Town is a designated place, but the story of how it became one and, and what that means is really compelling and touches on so much. So can we start with the beginnings of your involvement and some of the context that led to Thai Town? Sure, of course. Well, the impetus that led to the campaign to designate the East Hollywood neighborhood in Los Angeles as Thai Town was the civil unrest of 1992. That event was really a manifestation of a history of neglect of inner city neighborhoods and communities that are predominantly minorities and, uh, and immigrants. And, um, and those neighborhoods had suffered blight and urban decay, such as East Hollywood, and uh, had no capital infusion or economic development. And also uh, on top of that, if you go to South LA, that's compounded by police brutality among uh, African-Americans. And, and that uh, sparked this civil unrest that led uh, to looting and to buildings and businesses being set on fire and um, just uh, mayhem and destruction. But we have to look at it as uh, a problem that really emanated from social and economic inequities in Los Angeles and, and the polarization between the haves and have-nots. And East Hollywood had also been adversely impacted by civil unrest. A lot of the Thai-owned businesses uh, were damaged or destroyed and burned. When funding was coming down the pipeline from sources uh, such as the federal government and the state and the county and the city and private sources, the Thai community had been completely bypassed and neglected, and we were not benefiting from any of the rebuilding dollars. And so, so uh, what better way to raise the visibility of our community and the, the, the distress of our community and the urgent needs uh, presented uh, by, by the destruction uh, in the aftermath of the civil unrest than to really tell the world that here we are, we exist, we are part of local history, we occupy a space, and we need support and resources and representation. And, and so then began uh, the campaign to designate East Hollywood as tight town to raise the visibility of, of this community that had for too long been marginalized and, and voiceless and isolated. Uh, and so so, so that was what uh, served as the impetus to begin the campaign. 
and 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 it was not just about signage and um, not even um, just about demarcating um, this this space, but really about a community asserting its own community consciousness and being engaged in a community building process and making the broader community and the policymakers and elected officials and our representatives aware that we exist, we occupy a space associated with history and with local history. And we've been here now for over 60 years. Uh, our businesses have uh, proliferated and created this local economy. And the Thai immigrants uh, in the area have become an integral part of the workforce. And, and that also uh, is, is a, um, a, cut, a contributing factor to, to a thriving economy. Uh, but we also are in a very diverse uh, community uh, where we live, do business, and work alongside uh, other uh, ethnic uh, immigrants. We have our Armenian brothers and sisters and our Latinx brothers and sisters whom we shared this uh, space with. And, and we really want this community to thrive and work together, unite together around a common purpose. And that purpose was uh, to designate this area as an area where we could use creative placemaking and employ economic development strategies to turn this neighborhood around and revitalize uh, this, this neighborhood that had been suffering from neglect and, and economic um, blight for just too long and, and also urban decay and a depressed economy for too long. So that's a, that's a monumental task. And, and how, how did you get started with this, you know, bringing the community together and, and organizing uh, for this effort? Well, we um, started because at the time, I, I was at UCLA Urban Planning School, and um, and I understood the power of data and how we could use data as an advocacy tool to make our case and uh, make it known that uh, we uh, have all of these indicators to to support why there's a, a, a need to be provided uh, these kinds of resources that are uh, really uh, just uh, missing at this time for a community that's in critical need. And so I started uh, recruiting Thai American college students from across the country and training them in survey methods, developing survey instruments, and um, and embarking on what we uh, call a needs assessment uh, study that would become a landmark uh, needs assessment study of the Thai community because none had been done before uh, until now and uh, until this needs assessment study. And so, so I, I trained them and I, uh, the students uh, were deployed, fanned out, collected the data and, um, and, I had the good fortune of having access to the computer lab at UCLA, and we were able to do all the data entry and do all the regressions and data analysis and all of that with the statistical software, which nowadays we don't need anymore. But in any case, so when we ran the numbers, we were able to establish a lot of the, the facts we already knew, but we just had to um, just, just uh, make sure that we, we, we have it um, in, this, uh, uh, in these findings in a formalized way so that we could make our case. And, um, and that included all the demographics of the Thai community, the socioeconomic characteristics of the Thai community, and the human uh, and welfare needs of the Thai community. And so, of course, uh, the findings show that we have a, a community that are predominantly economic immigrants uh, who uh, came here for economic opportunities, um, are predominantly um, uh, folks who uh, are laborers and are employed uh, in um, uh, low-wage industries. And uh, we have 50% uh, who are undocumented, so very vulnerable. And uh, majority who are uh, 
more recent immigrants and are limited English proficient or monolingual Thai speaking and um, <clears throat> who are um, just uh, uh, in need of uh, a, um, a myriad of human and social services uh, from access to healthcare to financial literacy to legal services to senior services, youth services, uh, uh, cultural uh, acculturation uh, services, uh, immigrant immigrant integration services, and what have you, and um, and and just uh, all kinds of immigrant integration uh, support uh, to navigate uh, various uh, systems like the healthcare system and the legal system and what have you, and so so those findings um, were able to uh, document. Just, just the overwhelming, unaddressed, and growing unmet needs of our community. At the same time, we were also able to, to put in our survey uh, the question of whether they think a um, designation of East Hollywood as Thai Town would be um, just a, uh, a way of helping not just to raise the visibility of the Thai community, but to address some of these needs. And, and so we put that in the, in the survey instrument. And then we also asked the question of um, what they thought this Thai town should be. Should it be a commercial district, a corridor, a community center, a cultural center, or a combination of all of these? And um, and so we put those questions in there. And then, and then we, of course, put the question if they uh, actually would want to see East Hollywood designated as Thai Town. And so, uh, so yes, yeah, so we collected all that data. Our findings um, I had shared, and majority, of course, uh, wanted a Thai Town. And they indicated that they wanted it to be a combination of a cultural center, community center, and, and also a commercial corridor. Um, and so... So hence, that helped us uh, then uh, just uh, begin the, the, the campaign. And when we began the campaign, we wanted it to be a truly democratic and truly participatory process. We wanted uh, the community to be fully engaged and, and lead the effort. So we held town hall meetings with the community, and we had a uh, asked uh, community members if they would be willing to be part of a Thai Town Formation Committee who would be trained in um, the campaign work and then who would uh, also uh, just uh, uh, really lead the effort. And, uh, and so a lot of folks uh, did uh, sign up to be a member of the Formation Committee and we made sure that they were representative uh, of, of the uh, the community, the various segments of the community, the seniors, uh, the youth, the workers, um, the professionals, the business owners, so so that all sectors are represented. And Thai CDC trained them in um, communication skills, in leadership skills, and also in civics. So they learned how to canvas, how to collect petitions, how to uh, talk uh, about the campaign. And they just went, they fanned out and went door to door and talked to uh, the, the Armenian uh, community members and residents and business owners, the Latinx residents and business owners and community members. And we were able to gather from uh, the petitions uh, that 80 plus percent of non-Thais actually supported the designation of East Hollywood as Thai town because they understood the vision behind that and which, which uh, would be using economic development strategies and creative placemaking, cultural tourism uh, to revitalize this neighborhood. That's really fantastic. Uh, I like how, how at the beginning you did work um, kind of with data and in the computer lab. And uh, I was probably doing work with data in a computer lab about that same time, but definitely don't have the legacy <laughs> of, of what you've been able to create because I think then you, you brought it to the community um, and uh, got so much involvement and built from there and got support from, 
from policymakers. I know, you know, similar to right now, people want to make use of data and have an impact. And and another similarity to now is um, then there was a sh- another shock in the market, right? Like so, you, this happened in, in a- after the shocks of 1992 and the civil unrest, as you said. Uh, and then shortly thereafter was the Northridge earthquake, and I imagine that also impacted the community. Indeed, it did because um, after the first crisis of '92 civil unrest, uh, we uh, were a group of volunteers uh, where I had uh, actually um, just had to step up and and organize a group of volunteers to render a lot of the relief effort and. Um, help get the rebuilding dollars uh, to the folks who needed rebuilding and then embarking on this needs assessment um, study and then begin the campaign to designate tight town. And so then uh, 94, uh, just two years later, another crisis left devastation in its wake and that was the 1994 Northridge earthquake. So we had to shelf the, the tight town designation campaign. And again, um, go uh, back out to the community to render relief and to um, provide emergency preparedness, hazard mitigation, crisis counseling. And, and because ties were being displaced from their, their homes and their businesses and their jobs, we had to do a triage at the Thai Temple. We worked with the State Office of Emergency Services, with the U.S. Housing Urban Development, U.S. Small Business Administration, with FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Administration, and and got um, ties um, their um, uh, their relief um, and and assistance, and also uh, some cash aid as well as we did in the uh, aftermath of civil unrest too. Some of them got some cash aid as well, and and so so we had to shelf the tight town, but then the tight town designation campaign, but then that actually led then to the founding, the official founding of Thai CDC, the Thai Community Development Center. And, and when we um, founded Thai CDC, we had the benefit of the data from our surveys and the findings from a survey to inform our programming and uh, services. Uh, while we were still rendering all that emergency relief. And um, and then, uh, of course, Thais being economic immigrants, unlike our Southeast Asian brothers and sisters who fled uh, political, civil strife, uh, wars, and persecution, uh, were economic immigrants. So upon our founding as a community development center, our core mission would be economic development, helping Thais access economic opportunities, uh, ties who are economically disadvantaged uh, and and um, helping them access economic opportunities and opportunities for economic mobility. And so, um, so yeah, so that Thai town was born, I mean, Thai CDC was born and we did not, uh, that was in 94, and we did not resurrect the Thai town designation campaign until 98. And so, because between 94 and 98, uh, we were uh, doing all of the, um, the, the relief work, but then also now all the, the service delivery and the programming and structuring uh, a new organization to provide um, these services. And, and then we started building housing and we started um, doing uh, just all the economic development activities and neighborhood um, development activities, as well as um, uh, doing healthcare access and uh, small business promotion and, they, and 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 so forth. And then 98, we resurrected the, the campaign again and won the designation finally on October 27, 1999. Wow. And, you know, it, it's such a, an incredible de- demonstration of just how much, uh, how much work goes on, on, on the ground in in communities and how much effort it takes to one get through uh, times of crisis that you know even like like we're in now and and certainly going to want to talk about what you're doing now um, in, in a bit but but also how much opportunity you found from this and and how you built so much from from this and uh, I'd like to talk about some of that now and you've talked a lot about community economic development. Uh, 
through the work in the in the founding of Thai CDC and and uh, and recovery. So let, let's get into that a little bit. What what are the areas of focus that that you've had with community economic development? Because we serve economically disadvantaged immigrants, um, though they are primarily Thai immigrants, we serve all low income immigrants because we are a, a community based organization um, dedicated to helping people achieve economic self-sufficiency and dedicated to alleviating poverty uh, in neighborhoods that, especially uh, the East Hollywood neighborhood that we work in, while we're not place-based, that is one of the areas that we work in where we are place-based because a lot of our programs and services uh, go outside of the high town neighborhood or East Hollywood neighborhood as well. Um, and uh, because ties are fairly dispersed throughout uh, the county of Los Angeles, uh, we are the largest population of ties outside of Thailand or abroad in Southern California. And more than 50% of, of ties reside in Los Angeles County. So that's about 100,000 ties. And um, and so, so while we have the linguistic and cultural cultural competency and specialization to to serve Thai immigrants, because uh, there's a dearth of service providers uh, who have that linguistic and cultural competency, we uh, don't just serve Thai immigrants; we serve all low-income immigrants. Um, and so, so our core mission is economic development. So we want to uh, ensure that that people. Uh, are able to not just access economic opportunities. Uh, we want uh, to help them um, be financially literate. Uh, we want to be engaged in not just um, uh, this at the community level, community asset building, but at the individual level, individual asset building. So wealth creation, wealth generation is, is really important because these are low wealth uh, individuals and low wealth businesses that we're uh, helping. Um, and who do not have relationships with financial institutions. Uh, they are the unbanked, uh, for example. And so we want to help them access capital, help them become financially illiterate, help them access economic opportunities. Uh, so uh, at the community level, we build affordable housing for that reason, um, because it is uh, part of community asset building, but also provide people an opportunity uh, to to be um, housed um, and and paying um, rent at an affordable rate and and and, and not uh, pay more than thirty percent of their income on on housing and on rent and so um, so yes so so these are the core uh, work that we're engaged in uh, that revolves around community economic development. At the same time, we also define community development very broadly and have um, also um, uh, been an organization uh, that have had to address human rights and immigrant rights and workers' rights. So we've had to do a lot of advocacy around that because ties, unfortunately, are disproportionately affected by the heinous uh, crime of human trafficking and modern-day slavery. So we've become the pioneer uh, in the anti-trafficking movement with the first case of modern-day slavery in the U.S. Uh, that um, occurred in 1995 uh, that involved uh, over 80 Thai nationals. And, um, and since then, there have been many large landmark uh, cases involving Thai nationals in the thousands uh, that have been um, trafficked here for forced labor, labor and for um, uh, sexual uh, slavery so, so, unfortunately, this is what is happening, and 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 we've had to to really step up and, and not just uh, campaign against um, human trafficking, but provide traffic victim services. And our services are trauma informed and victim centered, and also train law enforcement, train other service providers, and and help push uh, pieces of legislation at federal and state and local levels to protect victims of human trafficking. Uh, we engage in immigrant rights advocacy because the people we serve are predominantly immigrants and um, half of them are undocumented. And so they're vulnerable to most egregious forms of exploitation in the workplace. And, and so, so we do 
a lot of back wage claims and uh and then we also uh, do deportation defense um, and legalization. Um, and then uh, there are a lot of folks uh, who are uh, victims of um, unlawful evictions. So we also help with eviction defense and, um, and provide legal services in the area of eviction defense. And, um, and so hence, we also have legal services for that reason. <laughs> Uh, covering the areas of immigration, employment, and housing, um, and 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 because the um, population we work with uh, who are low income are in a very per- precarious state of health, uh, their health care is on the margins. Sixty nine percent are um, are without affordable health insurance and suffer from chronic diseases and. In the uh, Thai community, in particular among low-income Thais, uh, the second leading cause of death is peptic ulcer. No one dies from peptic ulcers. <laughs> and so, yet that's the second leading cause of death. And so, so we've then had to make healthcare access and access to affordable healthcare uh, also part of our um, programming and, and also access to uh, fresh produce um, to improve people's diet and to uh, increase food security because we're dealing with low-income um, individuals and families. So that's why we operate two farmers markets as well. Wow, I, you know, I, I imagine that much of what what you've been doing, which is just so comprehensive, um, you know, must be uh, there must be lessons and and uh, for other places in the country that to replicate some of the 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 hard uh, and good work that you've done um, and. I think I'd like to go back to to one point uh, you brought up at the beginning around wealth creation and and asset building, um, and I'd like to get into a little bit how you've done that and and how you've seen success with that. Sure, we for the past twenty six years have been uh, providing financial literacy classes, uh, financial coaching, and entrepreneurship training. Our entrepreneurship training class uh, is about 25 to 27 hours long. So it's like five Saturdays, uh, five hours each Saturday. And um, and uh, the uh, the entrepreneurship training is very intense <laughs> because we cover our curriculum. We've developed a very culturally appropriate curriculum. And our curriculum covers... Um, uh, every stage of uh, business startup and uh, through business uh, operations, through business expansion, uh, but also um, initially just how to first uh, select a site uh, for the business, then how to structure a business, and then how to um, get all the licenses and permits and how to um, do the marketing um, understanding wage and hour laws, the uh, legal aspects of running a business, the um, the accounting, uh, and and then most importantly, how to access capital. A lot of ties uh, don't have good credit or are considered by mainstream uh, conventional financial institutions as not credit worthy because they have not. Uh, built a history of credit uh, as, as newcomers and immigrants and don't know how to build credit. Um, and, and so it's not like they have bad credit, it's just that they don't have that credit history that um, financial institutions are looking for. And so access to capital becomes uh, very difficult. So we've had to work uh, with um, community development financial institutions like um Opportunity Fund, for example, who um, are interested in providing capital to uh, to, to to folks uh, like our community members, who uh, mainstream institutions, financial institutions, don't find credit worthy, and and are able to take more risk and provide a low interest uh, loan. Uh, to help them uh, start a, a business. And so, and in our financial coaching, we help them with, um, uh, with really un- the, the, uh, the concept of saving, help them understand um, just 
just how well, how credit works uh, and and also how to save and um, we go back to even the basics because there are some who are unbanked and how to even open an account have an account um, a difference between a checking account and a savings account and and then just how to how to save and um, and so we're talking about really like basics and we've developed a curriculum um, that mirrors the FDIC, uh, the Federal Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, our federal government's uh, insurance corporation of banks, um, that mirrors their money uh, market um, curriculum uh, on, on financial literacy and financial coaching. But um, but that's more culturally appropriate. And um, and so so we used to have an IDA program, Individual Development Account Program where if they saved a certain um, amount, they get a match that could be their startup capital to, to start a business. But we also have a small business development program where we provide one-on-one -on -one business counseling and technical assistance and where we um, really help uh, the businesses um, uh, just become viable and sustainable over time. Uh, unfortunately, in an ethnic enclave economy, uh, like a Thai town, uh, we have what we call um, a saturation of, of the market because a lot of the businesses are the same type of businesses, predominantly Thai restaurants. <laughs> I know how much people love Thai food, and I know Thai cuisines become a popular cuisine of choice uh, for a lot of people, but when you have just um, basically a, um, a business corridor that's predominantly restaurants. You saturate the market. There's only so much Thai food, I guess, folks can have. But what folks don't understand is a lot of these restaurants actually specialize in certain dishes and non-Thais don't know that. <laughs> so um, if they knew, I mean, and then I think that's how they've managed to be more competitive because the non-Thais um, I mean, the Thais know that, and so they ordered the special dishes. But in any case, we were concerned about the enclave economy um, uh, causing hyper-competitive conditions and, and, and also um, uh, low profit margins for these businesses that um, over time, they may not be as viable and sustainable. And so we are trying to do some intervention like helping to diversify uh, some of the businesses and, and help them see opportunities in going to like other sectors, uh, for example, that is a growing uh, industry. And so, so that's what we are trying to do in our small business program. And then um, because we address workers' rights and a lot of Thai workers are employed in these co-ethnic um, uh, uh, businesses uh, that's owned by um, their own um, um, ethnic, uh, um, basically, uh, business owners that are, are their co-ethnic employers. Um, we we are concerned that the kinship ties between uh, the um, employees and co-ethnic employers can undermine uh, their their rights and ability to express their grievances and report abuses because they feel so obligated to to their co-ethnic employers, um, that that's how sometimes a lot of businesses can get away with uh, paying um, their employees uh, the um, depressed wages or below minimum wage and not uh, pay overtime compensation. So we're trying to create a win-win uh, situation where if the businesses can be uh, more profitable, they can afford to be more socially responsible and pay their workers living wages and compensate them for overtime. So, so we're in a kind of situation where we're at the same time that we have a whole legal unit also doing back wage claims and dedicated to workers' rights. Uh, we also have in our community development unit, um, community uh, uh, development programming like small business development. Um, and yeah, we're trying to reconcile both. Thinking about, you know, wealth creation and asset building and thinking about it from the, the individual level, the community level, the small business level, it shows just how deep and comprehensive um, you, you look at many of these things. 
And, and I know that like uh, you, you've been doing this for a long time as well. And I know um, we often talk about how, um, you know, affordability has changed. And that, that's certainly the case nationally, very much the case in Los Angeles. And I imagine that's just one example, but there's got to be uh, many, many meaningful differences between um, how you were doing the work back in the 1990s versus how you're doing the work today. I wonder if you have any examples of that. Yes, um, sure. Back in the 90s, we um, found that there uh, was more financing available to help us acquire sites and land and property and parcels, for example, to build on. Uh, there, there were programs like Title 202 of U.S. Housing Urban Development that would help fund the building of, of, of senior housing, affordable senior housing, for example. We had um, used different sources of financing like tax credits, which are still around, of course. Um, but uh, the um, financing for like land acquisition uh, to have site control and secure a site, that's been uh, much more difficult. And the cost of construction has gone um, up uh, so much so that it really inhibits us uh, from developing uh, as, as much as, as we did back in uh, the early days, the mid and late 90s. Uh, plus, there are other pressures as well. And, uh, and I want to um, also go back to, I didn't get a chance to mention that among our place-based um, uh, work that we do around Titan. Once we got Titan designated, of course, uh, we've been engaged in all the beautification work and the creative placemaking, the cultural preservation, um, uh, building the gateway, and um, and and also revitalizing the neighborhood, uh, planting um, over ninety trees greening the, the neighborhood by 60 plus percent um, and also um, repairing the sidewalk and the gutter and, and putting up decorative street lamps and what have you. So we're beautifying the neighborhood, but at the same time, we also knew that once uh, you're engaged in enhancing a neighborhood and, and a commercial corridor and um, what have you, that could uh, possibly lead to um, just pushing up the rents uh, for uh, the businesses and, um, and, and then these businesses no longer being able, these legacy businesses and, and local businesses that are ethnically owned uh, will no longer be able to afford the rents and having to, um, to, to leave and then be taken over by chain stores that can afford to be there and chain businesses um, and, and then just completely gentrifying the neighborhood and um, not no longer will you see any semblance of um, a uh, ethnic and cultural uh, community that's identified as Thai town. And so we were uh, very concerned about that um, uh, and, and so in order to really prevent that, we actually push for the specific plan to be adopted around um, the transit-oriented communities in East Hollywood because the metro was going to build a red line uh, subway station um, around East Hollywood. And, um, and, and that, of course was great uh, in terms of making public transportation more accessible and making this into a transit-oriented community. But we also were concerned about it being an equitable transit-oriented community and uh, making sure that uh, investment um, of our tax dollars into creating this huge public asset and uh, creating this public infrastructure would actually turn around and provide some public benefits. And so we push for affordable housing around transit. Uh, we push for amenities and facilities and um, a more pedestrian-friendly environment, more open space and uh, greenery and 
cultural preservation and historic preservation. And, and so we organized in 1998, all the stakeholders in the community, the, um, uh, the business owners, uh, the residents, the youth, the seniors across all ethnic lines and came up with this uh, vision of what we wanted to see around um, the uh, metro stations, a quarter mile radius around the metro stations. And, and we submitted that to city planning and city council and that got adopted in 2001 as the 20 year specific plan called station neighborhood area plan. And, and that uh, required developers coming to the area if they're anywhere within a quarter or half mile radius of the metro stop, they will have to comply with uh, the guidelines. Um, they would have to um, to build affordable housing, provide the open space, uh, uh, improve walkability, uh, improve the the greenery or increase the greenery, and uh, provide amenities and what have you. And so, so that. Station Neighborhood Area Plan, or the SNAP, now uh, has become like the model that uh, that can be used to prevent gentrification and um, this kind of um, of, of of change uh, that can um, really take away the community's identity. And so, 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 so fortunately, we were able to have that in place in 2001 that safeguarded uh, us in, in um, at least uh, this uh, from the 2000s onward until now uh, from any kind of gentrification that has been seen elsewhere around uh, transit-oriented communities and, and also um, just more market rate housing as opposed to affordable housing. So we've been able to do that. Uh, that has been key. Affordability of housing has become so uh, critical around us, uh, even, I mean, just right outside of Titan, adjacent to Titan, and the homelessness crisis has just exploded. Uh, we've got 70,000 um, uh, people homeless or unhoused in uh, the LA County area, and maybe 50,000 in the city alone. The, you know, that has made uh, the demand for affordable housing increase uh, by like just a hundredfold, a thousandfold even, um, but not enough uh, support in terms of financing and in terms of acquisition dollars and in terms of just, um, just the permitting process and making that uh, more streamlined. It's just enough to to help us produce more affordable housing at a faster rate uh, to be able to accommodate uh, people who are in need of, of more housing. Then plus you've got also um, the uh, the short term uh, rentals uh, that has exacerbated the problem like Airbnb and those platforms that take a lot of the affordable housing out of the housing stock as well. Uh, we've been pushing for regulation of, of those uh, short-term short rental platforms. And, um, and then we've got um, just, um, yeah, the, uh, the fact that, um, that, uh, uh, that around um, Los Angeles, the, the, the plans, the community plans um, uh, have been, uh, really, just um, just allowing for um, for for developments of market rate uh, housing, luxury rate housing, which will increase the housing supply. But we need to also make sure that there's enough uh, affordable uh, units being built too. So, <clears throat> so we need to focus on not just production. Uh, we need to also safeguard what we have right now as well. And so we need to do a lot of protection and preservation as well. So that's sort of how things have kind of changed. <laughs> but we have our own oasis because our oasis uh, we've created as a result of the of the, the, that specific plan that's still in place. <laughs>
Right, and and a model to be followed uh, elsewhere, perhaps. You know, one one thing that um, you're looking back to to uh, to the beginnings of, of Thai CDC and and the work you did in the '90s was uh, a time of crisis and, and change from that crisis, and we are in another one with with COVID nineteen, um, the the pandemic and and the economic implications. So. You know, tell, tell me a little bit about what you've been doing uh, for this crisis. Yes, uh, it's it's been um, just uh, quite a, uh, amazing to now um, be confronting yet another crisis. Uh, Thai CC, we were confronted by the crisis of 92, the civil unrest, and then the 94 Northridge earthquake, and now 2020, this global pandemic. And so in March, uh, we triage as uh, staff and, and volunteers, and we um, began uh, developing um, all of the uh, programs and services that we needed to, um, to, to have to be able to render immediate relief to folks who we felt uh, were vulnerable and would be adversely impacted by this particular crisis, uh, the limited English proficient, um, the undocumented uh, victims of trafficking, the uh, small businesses, uh, the, the uh, limited English proficient seniors, um, and low-wage workers who are essential workers. So we uh, immediately talked to uh, funders and grant makers and and we talked to all the other organizations that we've uh, worked with, and we um, uh, basically uh, decided that not only did uh, these folks uh, need uh, immediate uh, protection uh, from from COVID, uh, so we need to get all the PPEs out to them, and um, uh, we needed to make sure they understood all of the public health directives because um, <clears throat> they were not in all the languages that uh, that a lot of other immigrants uh, could could understand and access. So we need to make sure that uh, they they were in Thai, for example, around masking, social distancing, hand washing, disinfecting, sanitizing, all of that. And so so we made sure we got all of that uh, education and all the materials out, uh, all the PPEs out, the hand sanitizers, the masks, the gloves. Uh, We immediately made sure our farmer's market um, were in compliance with uh, also the uh, public health guidelines around masking and social distancing and sanitizing, hand washing, um, no sampling, one exit, uh, one um, one entry point, and all of that because our farmers markets never closed, and um, and so and then we also had to make sure that all our buildings um, were were. Uh, sanitized even more, and um, that all our residents uh, knew uh, what they needed to do to keep themselves and their families safe, uh, that our elevators, not more than like uh, two people can go in if there's not enough social distancing, uh, all the signage and everything had to go up, uh, what have you. So those were like the immediate task at hand. But then we were also concerned that if folks um, were uh, not going to be able to continue working because some of these businesses after the stay-at-home orders were issued, um, a lot of these businesses uh, may have to to operate in a limited fashion or, or they have to just close until they can reopen again. And so a lot of folks would be out of uh, work. So we um, were concerned that a lot of the ones who are not qualified to receive the um, economic impact payments or the the stimulus uh, payments uh, would not be able to make rent. Uh, also, a lot of them who are not uh, able to file for unemployment insurance uh, as well would not be able to make rent. So we immediately got uh, funding to provide uh, cash aid. So we have now provided since um, since March until now 
$767,000 in cash aid to 765 households uh, to help them with rent. And we also um, started because besides rent, we also need to make sure that they had enough food. Um, so we were concerned about the growing food insecurity. So not only did we do uh, food distributions, produce distributions, and, and also meal distributions, we also uh, were able to give out $620,000 in food vouchers so that they could actually um, purchase food for themselves and their families. And, and we passed out, like I said, thousands and thousands of PPEs and thousands of pounds of food and produce uh, on top of all of that. But we also came together around the Healthy LA Coalition that pushed for moratoriums on evictions. And, and, and we got that in the city and the county, and then of course, uh, statewide and, and also na nationwide, uh, that, that, um, that happened, the eviction moratorium, so that helped. Uh, we also um, made sure that um, people who uh, did not understand that there was this eviction moratorium that prevented landlords from evicting them, but ended up getting evicted unlawfully, that they also would receive eviction defense as well. And so we work with uh, legal aid organizations to provide eviction defense in those uh, cases. And, and now we've gotten another almost $900,000 to provide more cash aid to uh, distressed uh, households uh, who need some financial and economic relief still uh, because yeah, there, and then we also had to do um, COVID testing because a lot of a lot of um, undocumented immigrants and uh, limited English proficient immigrants, uh, like Thai immigrants, uh, were not able to access testing. So we worked with LA Fire Department and the core response, the community organized uh, relief uh, effort, to to do um, testing in Thai town. So we tested over thirteen hundred people. And now we are trying to ensure vaccine equity and access. So we're working with a number of um, organizations uh, to, and also healthcare providers to provide some, um, to at least staff some um, mobile pop-up um, vaccination sites that can serve uh, those people who can't access um, those megapod vaccination sites and don't know how, don't have internet and don't know how to go into the portal to register for vaccination. Uh, these are the ones who are now eligible, like the seniors, the in-home um, service, uh, supportive service providers who provide health care to their family members, and also now restaurant workers and grocery store workers. Uh, it it is uh, Chancy absolutely incredible everything that you've you've done through through COVID and 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 as you said from one from one crisis to the next from the '90s to to now but uh, like all all of this work is just um, clearly a model for so many others to follow and so much to learn from from what you and Thai CDC have done. Thank you so much for for being with us today and, and sharing all that you've done and, and sharing the story of of Thai Town. You're very welcome. I'm glad that um, I was able to to share uh, our history and uh, let folks know uh, that we're here and, and and all that we've been uh, doing and and we yes uh, are happy to have been invited onto this podcast. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Freddie Mac Multifamily Podcast. If you'd like to learn more, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.